Well, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. good and happy Pentecost Sunday to you. It's an exciting time. We're going to take a little bit closer look at that. I appreciate what Pastor Whalen shared. A lot of people out on vacation. Listen, vacation is important. It's very important. I know growing up that my parents always made a big deal out of it, and uh, my father and mother would take us one week every summer somewhere, somehow, whatever they could do, and maybe you can't get away. Do a staycation. Make a special time for your family and with one another because so often work and other activities take us away from our family, and, and you won't have that time again. You have to make that time. I want to encourage you. Think about vacation uh, like intercession. You have to make intercession. You have to get in the gap, and I want to encourage you to, to do that. And whatever that would mean to you in spending time together as a family, that's very, very, very important to you, very important to God, very important to us, and great things and great memories are built uh, during that time. So I want to encourage you to, uh, to do that. That. If you haven't thought about it before, if you need some vacation ideas, get with uh, uh, Gretchen. She's got a book of them. I mean, she's got a ton of them, and we uh, try to do that quite often to get away with the family there. So that's just a little side note. What a precious time to be able to pray over the children, to pray over the, pray over the ones that are here, uh, the ones that uh, maybe used to go to children's camp that have drifted away and walked away from the Lord or just gotten deceived or distracted somewhere. Friends, I, I mean it. We stand with you. We want to see those souls come into uh, a good relationship with God and to see them safe in his arms and, and secure in his plan. And so we want to let you know that we do stand with you for that. And as a church, we have to have a heart. You have to check yourself and ask yourself. Matter of fact, I read that scripture in Matthew chapter 7 quite often. We prophesied in your name. We cast out devils in your name. We did all this stuff in your name. He said, depart from me. I didn't even know you. I didn't even know you. Uh, one, you have to know who you are in Christ. Not just what you want to do and get to do in Christ, uh, but two, uh, the idea here is that saving souls. Remember what Jesus said, don't rejoice. He said that Satan fell like lightning, but that your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. That's what's important. Amen? That is what's important. So let's continue to pray and stand together. And maybe you don't have a prayer partner. I know that that's one thing my mother had. My mother had a prayer group that she hung out together with. It was four or five ladies, and, and uh, uh, they would get together once a week and, and pray for each other's children and pray for our salvation. And, and by Jesus, it works. It literally works. And God answered and God moved. And like I said, all four of my mother's children, all my three siblings, myself, are born again, serve God in the ministry. Uh, not that everybody's going to go in the ministry per se, but literally that God cares about souls. He wants to save people. Amen? Amen. Hey, if you have a Bible with you, why don't you take it and put it in your hand? You can get to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. We're going to be talking about Pentecost and get a little bit clearer view and perspective of that. Hold it up and say this with me. This is my Bible. It was written for me. And I can be. Everything it says I can be. I can be a better man or a better woman. I can be a better follower of Jesus Christ. Come on, say it like you mean it. Lord, correct me, direct me, because I want to be resurrected with you. Oh, Lord, be it unto me according to your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. I might have made one of the second worst uh, mistakes that a preacher could ever make. One is opening up and talking about food. 
Second one, you're thinking about vacation right now, okay? Well, let me take you on a spiritual vacation. Let me take you on a spiritual journey here, and let me share with you a few things about the story of Pentecost and where it came from and what it means to us and, and uh, the, how it was already a feast and was moved over to the Feast of the Harvest there. Friends, we should be expecting a harvest. We should be expecting a return and for a, a, a great coming in of souls. Uh, but in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, it says, And being assembled together, with them, he, speaking to Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, they had come together and they asked him, saying, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. First thing I want to point out here in this journey, okay, of Pentecost, there is a command with a promise. You've got to get this, friends. So often we have the promises lacking the presence because we've lost the purpose. There's a command that goes with the instruction of a fulfillment of a promise. It's kind of like the, uh, the, the manual book to assemble something. Now remember, they're assembled, but there's something that's missing in the midst of them. Listen, you can build a car, but if you don't put any oil in it, is it true, Mike? It's not going to run. It will not dry. You cannot be dry and think that you're going to live. You cannot be spiritless and think that you're really living, that you're really put together for the right reason. We together are, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are individually, but yet we're supposed to be fitly joined together, assembled together as a dwelling place, living stones put together of the new temple of where God dwells. He does not dwell in a place built by the hands of man. He is not limited. He can be here if we're here for the right purpose, if we're here with the right heart, if we're here praising God. He inhabits the praises of his people. Listen to me. You have that promise. When you're going through difficult times, you're going through challenges, things are down and out, you start to praise him, he will show up. He will meet you there. He will be there. He is good to his word. You praise him. Not sit there and just tell him about all your problems, but you sit there and you start to praise him and tell your problems how big your God is. He will show up. You will sense his presence. You'll know his presence and you'll be safe in his presence. Amen. So we have to assess for the right purpose. So he gave them a command. Commands are meant to be fulfilled, meant to be carried about. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That was his teaching throughout the gospels. Well, we've moved through the gospel now. What I'm sharing with you is the period of time after Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead. Now there's a 40 day period where he appeared to these people and he's giving them, he's giving them the insight. He's giving them the revelation. He's giving them all the nuts and bolts that they miss. He said, look, you heard this from me. I'm here to tell you now that I'm raised from the dead. And now that you saw me die and you saw that I came out of the grave and yet I live." Although I died, you now can believe that what I said is to come to pass. So he's giving them instruction, which will have an outcome, which will have an outcome. In Acts chapter 1, verse 12, then they returned to Jerusalem. That's what they were told to do. So they did what they were told to do. They returned to Jerusalem and from the mount called Olivet and is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. 
And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room. Everybody say upper room. Where there were staying, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, uh, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Notice Judas of Iscariot was not there. He did not make this meeting. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. And the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers... And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120, he said. We're going to get into what he said in just a few moments. But I want you still to get the picture of what is taking place here. Simply, it was a prayer meeting. It was a prayer meeting. Now, I need to ask you to ask yourself. I'm not here to condemn anybody. I'm not here to browbeat anybody. That's not my intent whatsoever. What was the last prayer meeting you attended? Now, why would I say that in such an astute way is because something's got to wake us up. Prayer meetings are needful. Prayer meetings, meetings are scriptural. Prayer meetings are where things happened that aren't happening now. Prayer meetings are where there's a gathering of agreement, where people come in agreement with one another, and, and, and they call out, they supplicate to God, they cry out to God, they petition God, they make requests to God, they lift up, the, they encourage one another in their faith by sharing their faith with one another. Nothing good will come out of anything without faith. Matter of fact, the Bible says anything without faith is sin. We need to somehow... Some way, trust a shepherd somewhere. Maybe I've hurt you. Maybe somebody else has hurt you. Maybe I've let you down. Maybe somebody else has let you down. Listen, Peter hurt a few people too. Paul hurt a few people too, okay? Paul, matter of fact, helped people get murdered and thrown to prison, thinking he was serving God. We have got to get over the hurt stage. We've got to get back into his purposes and into his plan. Maybe you can trust this shepherd today. Maybe you'll never see me again. I'm not here trying to recruit you to make the well some kind of place that is special, to get more followers on my whatever things they call those things. That is not what it's about, friends. But if you will hear me, get in a prayer meeting. But get in a prayer meeting with people who believe in the full gospel. If you don't believe in the full gospel, you might only get a third of your prayer. You might only get half of your prayer. You might only get three quarters of your prayer. If you want the fullness of your prayer, get with people who believe. Now, what does it mean to be full gospel? Everything that's in the gospel is everything we believe. We don't take some out and we don't add something to it. We don't tweak it to make you and I feel more comfortable. Are you with me? Get in a prayer meeting. We have made them so possible you can get on a phone call on Tuesday mornings and pray with people. 45, 55 people on a phone call all at one time, seven different people leading a point and praying together, engaging in music. If your alarm still goes off on Tuesday nights, we're praying for revival. What is that? A move of God. Something like what you see in the scripture where the spirit of God moves. And that's where, listen to me, that's where your prodigals are going to get saved. Uh, that's where your neighbors are going to get born again. That's where your employees are going to come to Jesus. And that's where it's going to happen. We want these things to happen, but we don't set the table for the meal. Wouldn't that be a pitiful situation? I've been in those situations. Get invited over for dinner, you get there, and there's nothing there. And you walk out in the garage, and there's people standing there waiting for you. You thought you had to go to town, and then the food shows up. Come on, brother. And then the, shoes, the food shows up. We need to be prepared. We need to set an atmosphere where people can get saved. Amen? 
I'm encouraging you to get in a prayer meeting. Find a time. Make time for it. Make time to pray together. Hey, start your own phone call. Make sure, though, that it is a full gospel prayer meeting. Notice what it says here. It says there is about 120 people in this meeting. 120 people showed up. It's a prayer meeting, 120. Sounds like a huge one, right? Matter of fact, there is some really good growth in his ministry. Three and a half years earlier, he had 12 guys. 12 guys is all he had. Three and a half years later, he's got a tenfold uh, growth in his church. There are now 120 people. It may not sound like, but if you were ever the group of 12 and now it's up to 120, you'd be bragging about it. You'd be talking about it. You'd be like, this is good. So to us, it seems to be small. Now, there is a concerning number here. If you study the scripture and you look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse 6, it says, after that he, Jesus, was seen by over 500 brethren, after he raised from the dead, was seen by over 500 brethren. That could be 501, could be 599. And of whom the greater part remain to this present, but some have fallen asleep. In other words, some have died since that time. Since Corinthians, Paul is writing this letter, Paul is saying, listen, there were, there were 500 plus people that Jesus appeared to. And you know that he gave them the same message, but there was only only 120 in that upper room. So the question would be, where are the 380? That would be the question. You say, well, it was about 120. Well, that would have been anything over 115. And we know that it was over 500. So there's 380 people missing somewhere. 380 people that were not carrying out the command. 380 people that were not following through. 380 people who are not attending a prayer meeting. There were only 120 there. We know there's a 10-day span. We don't know all the time frames of it. We know that they spent time in that upper room, maybe at least up to three days, if not more. The reality is maybe some had to check out. Maybe some had somewhere else to go. But Jesus even taught about that. He said, listen, you need to follow me and not look back. And don't make excuses that you need to go say goodbye to this one and take care of that one and do this or do that. No, no, this is what I commanded you. You see, it should be the love, the reason, the reason, the reason that we do not have the prayer meeting association that we have, it, it would have to base somewhere in the aspect of either disobedience or lack of love. Now, I'm not pointing fingers to anybody right now. That is not my intention whatsoever. There are prayer meetings in my 32 years of following Christ that I did not show up to. There are prayer meetings that I did not want to go to. There are times like that. I don't know why we're that way, but we need to once again fall in love with Jesus. We need to once again do church the way Jesus did church. We must be a praying church. We must meet together for prayer. Nobody's taking names. Nobody's listening, uh, but maybe God. Because he listed a few names here. He didn't list every name, but he did list. God wants to see you attending prayer times. Listen to me. We will do whatever it takes. We, will, we, have, we have a staff member who is pretty much, uh, by and large, devoted and committed to prayer and, and classes, okay, of training and discipleship. We have that in place. I believe now is the time. Listen to me, friends. I believe now is the time. We will set up, if there are businessmen here that you're saying the best time for me to meet would be a Monday morning at this time or that time, if there's moms that, that have an 
whatever your arrangement needs to be, we will help you establish and get people connected with you to pray together. I'm putting out an all alerts bulletin to this church as I talk to you right now. You and I must be, I don't want 380 of you off somewhere and missing it. We will set up prayer times that while you're on vacation, you can be praying with somebody. We will set up prayer times. We must be in prayer meetings. Do you hear me? We will never get the results that they got doing it a different way. Never. It will not happen. I'm a shepherd. I'm a pastor. I'm opening up a gate, and it's called the, it's called the, the, the pen of prayer. It is called the place of prayer, and the sheep need to get in. We won't be able to fit everybody into this one, that one, the other thing. And it's not who you're praying with, it's who you're praying to. Are you with me? You'd be much better off with the simple. You'd be much better off with the humble. You'd be much better off with the quiet and the simple. Get in a prayer time. We will do whatever. If you let us know you need help to get in a prayer meeting, you let us know. We will do anything and everything we need to do to make those prayer meetings possible. But I'm telling you, you need to be in a prayer meeting. You need to have a prayer group. You need to have people that you pray with. I'm going to encourage you. We're not going to belabor this. We're not going to overdo it. But when we call for a prayer meeting, do everything you can to come here and pray. Because I believe that's where he's going to do things and answer the things that we pray as a church. Amen? So my question would be this. It says there's 120. He appeared to 500. Who would you rather be numbered with? Would you rather be numbered with the 380 or the 120? That is simply your choice. That is simply your choice. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and as one sat upon each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It had fully come. You know, we have a tendency. I want you to see it this way. I've heard this. I've seen this. I've heard it in my own family. And I've seen it in other families. Is it when it comes Christmas time? Or if it comes Thanksgiving time or maybe even Easter time, I've seen families make arrangements and they celebrate it the week before. They're having Christmas on the 14th. They're, have you ever seen that? Why? Well, it's scriptural. They want to get their family together. They want to be with the people they love. But you can't do it before he's going to do it. You've got to have that heart. I'm not saying it's wrong to meet together early for Christmas or Easter or Thanksgiving. That's not what I'm saying. Don't walk away saying that's what I'm saying. I'm saying what I'm saying. You don't get to say what I'm saying <laughs> unless you're saying what I'm saying. I want you to get a point. Have you ever been disappointed that the family couldn't be there and it just didn't feel? It had fully come. You know, even when you do meet together with a family and you put on your ugly Christmas sweater and it's not Christmas, it doesn't feel like Christmas. And you say, it's just not the same, right? Well, listen, we need to get together. He wanted everybody to be together. He wanted everybody to be in the same room. 
He wanted that family to be together. Are you with me? He wanted to fill the cracks. He wanted to fill the voids. He wanted to have something that he could fill. There is more of God than just what you have. There's more of God than just what I have. We are not all that and a bag of chips. Amen? He wants us put together. Timing is important for fulfillment to be accomplished. Timing is important for fulfillment to be accomplished. Pastor Whalen touched on the aspect of the timing when that time would come. He will come in the fullness of time. Friends, we're living in a time that we need a fulfillment. We're living in an hour that we need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit like never, ever before. Notice what it says here. They, the 120, they were all filled. Listen to me. I don't want you to jump into to denominationalism. I don't want you to jump into indoctrination. I want you to look simply at the word of God. The word of God states at the very beginning, Jesus has already passed. He's already raised from the dead. He's already ascended into heaven. It's the new covenant church. His initial intent was that everybody would be filled. What does that look like? What does that sound like? What does that feel like? You'll never know until you experience it. I could tell you mine all day long. You could tell me yours all day long. You need to have yours. He wants you filled with the Spirit. He wants you filled with His presence. He wants you completed through Him. Amen? So, they all. So that speaks to you. It speaks to me. It speaks to every one of us. This is what he wants us to have. Do not get wrapped up in what you heard here or what you saw there. What you see now and what you're hearing now is what is most important to you. God wants you filled with his spirit. The things that you see around it, they accompany that. They are associated with that. They are scriptural. They are spiritual. They're meaningful. They have their place. They have their purpose. But you'll never know until you're filled. Because if you're not filled and you hear about all the, all the stuff around it, you might get confused whether you want that or don't want that. You want him. God is spirit, and you want to be filled with his spirit. Amen? We'll move down, and there's a response that came. The crowd, it was a busy day. There's a lot of people around. And that upper room experience on that day of Pentecost, remember, it was a feast to them. It was a celebration time. So many people had come back home, come back to, to be in that community and to celebrate with family, with friends. And people came that had moved away from there. It would be kind of like in Scottsboro. I don't know how many of you, but there's a lot of people. You meet them in Scottsboro, and, and their accent isn't really Scottsboroan. It's not even Alabamian. It's Chicagoan. We all know what I'm talking about. Because there was a hard time back here in Scottsboro years ago, and people needed employment, and so they, they migrated up to southern Indiana and Illinois and up in that area up there, and they got employment. How many of y'all know people that went away to, yeah, and then they come back? We've got a great tie there. You know what we ought to do? Something, I never even thought about this. Get ready, Jerry. It's bulletins out today, baby. We need to do a missions trip to Chicago. Oh, I know, I know, I know. Some people that's the most dangerous place. That's why we need to be there. So there'll be a sign-up sheet out front. If you have an interest in that, sign up. There'll be one out there this morning. We have too much connection, too much tie. Part of Scottsboro is connected to Chicago. And part of Chicago is connected to Scottsboro. You see what I'm saying? 
if we're going to get our family and friends, then we better go get our family and friends, right? It was helpful in that season of life. So we're going to do an outreach to Chicago. Whew, I can't wait. So they're, they're dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews. Dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Now, here's a tendency. We have a tendency when it comes to evangelism. I want to speak to my evangelists out there, okay? We have a tendency, the easy way to evangelize is a person that has nothing. I mean, they're destitute, they're broken. Not always the best results. It might get hard in the conversation, but sometimes we don't go to the devout people. Sometimes we don't even reach the religious people. Listen to me. There were religious people in their time. Uh, there was governmental people in their time that did not know Jesus Christ. And we have got to go to all people, not just some people. Amen? So here he is. So there's devout Jews of every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred... When the sound occurred, the multitude came together. What was the sound? Do you remember the sound? It was a sound of a mighty rushing wind. I was in a, in a text conversation. A, a, a new friend and I were preaching back and forth to each other this morning. And he said, you know, the wind only makes a noise when there's opposition. When there's something in the way. And so the movement of that wind was being heard because the stirring was going on inside of that building. It was touching earth. Heaven was blowing upon the earth. A multitude came together and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Now remember the Jewish people uh, back in Genesis, the people of uh, the Hebrew people and back in Genesis, they were scattered abroad. Matter of fact, they were trying to get to heaven by the work of their hands. Do you remember that? They were building a tower called, that's right, Babel. It's amazing how many people are familiar with that story. That's because we're still familiarity with confusion. We're still babbling in some of our Christianity. I've heard Christians talk before, and I thought, what on earth did they just say? I get so nervous. You've heard me before. I get so nervous, we start singing songs. I'm like, oh, my goodness. You would have to be like 18 years into Christianity and have been to every wind-blowing conference that there was to understand what on earth they're saying right now. Sometimes we're just babbling because we're trying to get our spirituality on our own revelation, on our own terminology. Friends, why is the word of God not good enough? If it's good enough for David. His songs made it into the Bible. If your song that you write and somebody else writes can't make it in the Bible, kick it out. We don't need it. I don't care what rift and raft it's got. I don't care what jing and jing it's got. We need the word of God. Amen? It's the only sure foundation that we can have. That one will probably make it to social media. confused. They had been given confusion at the Tower of Babel because of that one mind, one accord. They were so close to what was right here, but they were using the wrong purpose. They were not being obedient to their command. They're trying to get to heaven on their own. Friends, there's people that try to get to heaven on their own every day, and they'll never make it there on their own. Amen? Because every one of them heard his own language, they were all amazed and marveled saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? So this is, this is a generational thing. This is generation upon generation of separation from God. And now God is releasing a language of heaven that all earth is meant to understand. All earth can be drawn by that voice of God. Jesus said, my sheep shall know my voice. I ask you, do you know the voice of Jesus? Have you heard the voice of Jesus? 
And so he's drawing, he's trying to restore and bring his people back to him. We'll move down to verse 11. We hear them speaking in our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. So they're testifying in their prayer language and in the language that he's given them, they're testifying of the wonderful works of God, okay? Magnifying God, glorifying God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they're full of new wine. In other words, they drunk. They're like drunk people. Now, I will say this to you. Others may not agree or hear with this. Might think it's a little legalistic, but it did not say that they were, that the Holy Ghost people filled with the Spirit were like drunk people. That's what the outside was saying about them, not the inside. I don't like using the terminology, they're drunk in the Holy Ghost. No, they're not drunk as you suppose. No, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, we need to keep it scriptural. We need to keep it holy. We need to keep it pure. We don't need to fashion it and forge it down to our likings and our feelings into our fads and into what we think would be cool. Amen? There is nothing wrong with being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Notice in this passage here of the crowd's response, there was confusion. They were amazed and marveled. They were amazed and perplexed, means puzzled. And they mocked and considered to be drunk. Friends, it stirs some people in a good way. It might stir some people in a bad way. But nevertheless, there was a stirring going on. Amen? There was something happening, something being made here. In Acts chapter 2, verse 14, Peter, standing with the eleven, preached the first sermon of the church. Listen to what it says, but it said, Peter stood with the 11 and raised his voice. Now, while this brother and I were texting to each other, he sent something back to me. He said, I may quote you on that if you don't mind. I said, listen, I just told you what he said to me. Now you've heard it. It's as if he said it to you. You use it however you want. See, there's this thing with preachers. One man's pig can be another man's sausage, Okay. It doesn't matter how it comes out, but nevertheless, you take the peace, and what you hear preached in this sermon, what you hear preached when anybody preaches up here, friends, that's not theirs. They don't own it. If they do, they've got problems. Amen? It's the word of God. Let it go. And then he quoted something back to me. He said, you know what? I'm preaching from where it says that Peter raised his voice. He said that word raised his voice means lift the anchor. He said, I'm preaching because we're going to lift the anchor and I'm going to raise my voice this morning because simply the church wasn't meant to sit, but to sail. That's my sausage right there. In Acts chapter 2, 14 through 39, we don't have time to look at it all. Peter is preaching that very first sermon. He's, he's letting it out. Matter of fact, Gretchen and I had a friend years ago in outreach ministry. His name Cleve Scripture, and he had a little saying. He says, Mm-mm. he put the hay down where the goats could get it this morning. <laughs> Peter was putting the hay down where even the goats could get it. Well, in that sermon, there is fulfilled prophecy. Fulfilled prophecy, prophecy, prophecy being fulfilled. Well, what are you talking about? Simple. Joel prophesied some hundreds of years earlier that in the last days, God would pour out his spirit. Sons and daughters would prophesy. 
Young men would have visions, and the old men would dream dreams. And as many as call upon the name of the Lord. Somehow we, we take that out of the equation, and we just go with all the spiritual stuff, but there should be salvation of souls. If the prophesying we're doing, the healing we're doing, if souls aren't getting won, something's missing. Amen? We want to win souls. So there's fulfillment of prophecy. In this message, there's restoration of God's people. God's people are coming back to him. We need to have messages that bring about the fulfillment of prophecy, that restore people back to God. There is conviction in the heart. It meant that it said that their hearts were, they were cut to the heart. Why? Because the word of God is powerful. It's sharper than two two-edged sword, and it pierced between the soul and the spirit, between the intents and the thoughts. It got into the bone and the marrow. Got all the way inside of there, they're cut to the heart. There is repentance. Friends, any revival without repentance is really not revival. Repentance is just turning people back to God. It's not people saying, I'm the worst and beating their chest. It's people turning and following God. They asked, what should we do? They were so convicted. They said, what should we do? They didn't have to be persuaded. They didn't have to be asked. Listen, they didn't have to be commanded. When you're commanded something, it's because you don't know something. In the very beginning, they didn't know what was going to happen in the upper room, and Jesus commanded them. Now the people are asking. When, when, you're asked, when you're asking and people are asking, all they have to do is be told. Acts 2.39. At the very end, or maybe three-quarters of the way into Peter's sermon, they asked him, what should they do? He said, guys, you need to repent. You need to be baptized, every one of you. And then he said this in verse 39. This is so appropriate for today. For the promises to you, to your children, and to all who are far off, as many as our Lord God will call. I don't know if my mom remembers this as well as I remember it. But I asked her one time after I'd gotten saved, because I used to sneak in the middle of the night, squeak in the door, try to get inside. And I'd find her still up sometimes and in prayer. The next morning, having her time with the Lord. I said, Mom, I said, when I would sneak in or come in, I said, you know, it's like you didn't address this, that, or the other thing. She said, I wasn't praying for you just to get home safe. I was praying for you to get saved. You know what that literally means? She prayed through. Sometimes we have a tendency, and this could be helpful to somebody, just to pray for appeasement. And then we keep going through the cycle again and again and again. We need to pray them through, not just to. Amen? We need to pray to where they're not that anymore, not just that they're safe from that night. Amen? Thank you, Mom. So I want to point out something here in Acts chapter 2, verse 39. There has never been a people, never, in all the history of the New Testament that have been more descriptively fitting to this verse than you and I. What do you mean? He said, this is for you. They were there. It's for your children. They were to come. And for as many as are as far off. We, right now in this moment, at 1123, amen. 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 At 1123, amen. Nobody has ever been more further away than that message than we are. We're 2,000-some years away. So could we fit in the promise? Let me say this to you. The promise still stands. You're listed in the Bible. You're registered. 
Not just you, your family is in there. There's still hope. I don't care what day passed. I don't care what preacher, what sermon, what, what prophecy has passed and hasn't come to pass that doesn't seem to be anymore. I'm here to tell you, according to the word of God, you and your family and every one of those prodigals we just stood up here for, we fit in this scripture. We are in the word of God. We're in the plan of God and the promise of God still stands. Now listen, getting to or getting through, the difference is getting saved or getting filled. Amen? Listen, you could save somebody from a disastrous situation, but never have them fulfilled for the next one coming. Amen? So we want to get people through. So the promise stands. So what kind of results should we be expecting from a Pentecost Sunday? from a Pentecostal experience. What should it do to the church? We see what kind of sermon it was. We see what kind of promises there are. We see what kind of instructions there are. What results should we expect? I don't know about you, but if somebody's going to sell me something, you better talk about the results. And matter of fact, if I'm the first one you're selling it to, you better tell me the results of my investment. Even if I don't know that the product works or doesn't work because I haven't seen it tested. But I'm here to tell you, this one has been tested for 2,000 some years. Matter of fact, there's a very smart lawyer by the name of Gamaliel. Hey, Paul sat under his, his tutelage and his training and, uh, and all of his knowledge. And, and then the church was rising up in the book of Acts and they're getting powerful. And, and, and they're getting ready to try to kill them all. And he says, well, wait a minute. This very wise man he spoke of, he said, he said listen, he said, leave him alone. He said, there's been a few other guys that have done this, and one got about 400 in his following, and, and it, it just kind of faded out. He said, if it's of God, it, it, it will last forever, but if it's not of God, it'll come to an end. He said, leave him alone. Well, I got news for you, friends. You and I are standing here, to the best of our knowledge, 2,022 years later, and it's still going. It's tested, it's tried, it's true. Amen? The New Testament, the New Covenant Church has its place. In Acts chapter 2, verse 40. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them. Now listen, the next time myself or Pastor Whalen or, or Pastor Joel, who have someone of us is speaking and we just keep preaching, it's scriptural. I just want to settle that with you, okay? That didn't go over well. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Now, that does not mean take me out of it. It doesn't mean stop it, but it doesn't take me. It doesn't control me. Listen to me, friends. I was thinking just the other day, and I saw an illustrated sermon, and it wasn't my sermon to preach at this time, but I, I saw a piece of candy or a candy bar or a certain soda pop or whatever you want to call it. And if you can't say no to that, I got news for you. There's other things you aren't saying no to. No, no, you need to hear me. Whether it's on the internet or whether it's in the illegal world, the reason you can't say no to those is because you can't say no to the little things. If you'll back up and take care of the little things, the fox won't spoil the vine anymore. Come on, somebody. Getting up in your business now, right? That's all right. You'll have a healthier marriage. You'll have a healthier family. You'll have a healthier body. You'll have a healthier spirit. You'll be a better you, and you'll be more like Christ, and you'll see more results of what God can do in your life when you do life the way God wants you to do it. Amen? 
should have brought the candy. Be safe in this perverse generation. Have you ever? A matter of fact, let me just ask, anybody in here over 70? Over 70. Have you ever seen a more perverse generation in all of your life? No. It's wicked. It's vile. It's distorted. I mean, just in the last three weeks, how many massacres there's been. It's horrific. Having wars within our own nation. He said he'll save you from this perverse generation. So thinking again of your prodigals. I didn't ask for the songs. I went on the response of the songs to pray for the prodigals. What are they really going to need? Just one day of saying, Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord, but then living perverse the rest of their life. No, he wants to save you from perversity. We want a clean church. Without spot, without wrinkle. Washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? Those who gladly, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. Uh, that, that's, a little, that's a little hint there for you. Gladly receive the word of God. I tell you, I've seen it in the eyes of our children before. I mean, it's not like they are waiting for and wanting correction, but when they have parents who care enough to correct them, they appreciate it. They gladly receive it. It might take 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes or days, but eventually, come on somebody, but eventually those, the, the ones who do gladly receive it, they do good. They come around. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And that day, one day, they've gone from 12 to 500 to 120. Can anybody say, prune me? And that day, 3,000, about 3,000 souls came to the Lord. Friends, could you listen? That's one fifth of Scottsboro. That's about 8% of Jackson County came to the Lord in that moment's time. And they continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. I'm going to take just a minute here. I'm not going to push this too hard. But I want to share with you that he has a plan of knitting the church together, making her stronger, making her healthier, to making her see and experience signs, wonders, and miracles. I left church Wednesday night, and two people came to me and said, hey, I just want you to know that I was healed of this, and I was healed of that. There is a place for signs, wonders, and miracle in his church, in his body, in our day, and in our age. And many who believed were together and had all things common. Friends, the big question as to how do you do that, should we do that, usually you find the person who wants to do that, the one who has nothing to contribute. 
just kind of happens that way. I've been that guy before. It's like, that, you know what would be really cool? If you and I made everything common, you're like, okay, what do you have? Put your stuff on the table first. <laughs> then I'll have something to give, you know? I've been there. That's not what it's talking about. It's only mentioned once in the Bible. When something that's once in the Bible, you cannot make doctrine off of it. You can't. There has to be a reference point. There has to be a connecting point. There has to be a witness. There has to be a bearing of witness to make something doctrinal. So why is it in the Bible? Good question. Inspirational. They're being inspired. There's a move of God. There's a work of God. You need to understand what's going on in their day. We're getting even closer to what was going on in their day and our day right now. When they became Christians, they were excommunicated. They couldn't hang out with the Jews anymore. They're the bad people. Nobody's going to go to their store anymore. Matter of fact, they probably lost their jobs. They probably didn't get to go to market. They probably didn't get to do this, that, or the other thing. So they're in a quandary. They're in a, in a dire straits. They're in a need. And the best way to meet needs is to contribute. Is to share in all matters of life. What I would say to you in inspiration when you are in prayer together, it's easier to share together. Share your hurts, share your pains, share your burdens, start to pray. And when you're in that safe place of sharing, it's not putting your, your, your needs list out to everybody else. But it's those relationships and fellowship that you build. You go out to lunch together, you spend time together, and the next thing you know, you're like, you know what, I, I, I feel like we should help them. I feel like we should do something to support them. I feel like we should come alongside and agree together. Now, listen, I mean, from where I started inspiration, we're here. And now that I'm sharing this, we're down here. I get it. You know what? It's time to grow up. It's time for us as a church to grow up and to become as scriptural as possible. Now, listen, you're in a day now that in certain cities, even still as we speak, you have to have a vaccination card to go in and trade with them. There's a day that you cannot go unless you aren't this or aren't that. The Bible even tells us, I'm not trying to bring you any fear or worry. There's going to be eating and drinking. There's going to be selling and trading until Jesus comes back. I'm not trying to put a doom and gloom on you. But there's coming a day that some will have a mark and some won't have a mark. The ones who have a mark can trade. The ones who don't have a mark can't trade. That stuff is more real today than it's ever been. Listen, if we are as close to as men as are far off, and we're living that hour, we're as close to anything as in Matthew chapter 24. You shared from that great word Wednesday night. Share from that. We're as close to anything that there is in Matthew 24. So what do we do? Well, I'll tell you. We pray together. We share together. When you start sharing one of those burdens. But you know, one of our biggest resistance and hindrances that I find is that some people are too prideful to share their needs. It takes humility to be honest of what you have and what you don't have. What you can and what you can't have. Will there be abuse? I'm sorry, there just will be. But Jesus says, woe to them who offend. It's going to be worse for them than it is for you. They'd be better off if I put a millstone around their neck and dropped them in the river. That's pretty... What's my point? Jesus will take care of these things. We have Jesus. We need Jesus. Amen? You know what's going to be really cool? 
You fill this plaza with God-fearing, God-loving, God-caring people and, and other places in the community. And whether you have a mask or don't have a mask, whether you have a card or don't have a card, most likely they will serve you what they have to meet the needs that you have. So you build a community in a community to help transform that community. Amen? And there's other businesses of God-fearing, God-loving people. They're going to serve and tend to. Listen to me. The marketplace is going to be our greatest place to evangelize this place. Amen? So you business owners, matter of fact, we'll be, it won't be long. We want to encourage you. We want to build you. We want to, we're going to get a prayer ministry set up for you and a support. But you businessmen are some great business people in this church that some of you young ones, all you need to hear is their testimony. I started with two nickels and a dime, and I lost the dime between the two nickels. Saying, how's that possible? Because that's all they had, and that's all they could rub. But they need to hear your story. They need to hear your testimony. They need to hear you stand in front of them because they're getting ready to make that decision you've already made. They're getting ready to walk that, and you can help nurture them. You can help disciple them. You can help develop them into what God's called them to be. We had an altar call here some years ago. I think it was a Wednesday night. Had an altar call, and, and, and I just, off of the cuff, I just said, anybody that feels like you're an entrepreneur, you want to start a business, you know, whatever type of business that may be, come to the altar. 35 people came and knelt in this altar. I remember another altar call where 17 or 18 people were laid out in the power of God up here who had a heart to evangelism. Listen, if we could get these two things working together, Scottsboro will then be someplace special. Amen? We want to help you. We want to support you, we want to be alongside with you and to help you get. Listen, in this message, we find out there is safe from perversity, harvest of souls, fellowship and prayer, doctrinal teaching, signs and wonders. They were going from house to house. There was gladness in their hearts, and there was simplicity of heart. Friends, that's good stuff. What might it look like today? I'm going to wrap it with this. What might it look like today? How could I get Acts 1 and Acts 2, and how could, I, how could I make it applicable to my life and to live this out, and what would it look like today? Has anybody ever asked that question? What would it look like? Let's pick up in Acts chapter 10. What did it look like in the days to follow them? What did it look in their time? What did it look like for those people who are on the outside who weren't yet on the inside? I mean, we kind of sometimes look at the book of Acts and we're over here looking at it and going, oh my goodness, I, I want the book of Acts in my life and I want my life in the book of Acts. I want it to be like that. Well, here they are. In Acts chapter 10, there's this man by the name of Cornelius. I know it sounds a little corny, but it's not. That's really his name. That was good. <laughs> Say it to your neighbor, Cornelius. This is a powerful man of God. This is a devout man. Matter of fact, we have a room right out here in, the, in, in the, the breezeway out here in the courtyard. The first one to the left is called Cornelius' house. Why? Because I believe what happened in this book and in this chapter and in his house is what's supposed to be happening in our houses. I truly believe that. I love it. I believe it. I'm not going to take all time to, to share this message, but, but he's praying. He's seeking God, and he gets a vision from God, a clear vision. He sees his vision. And, and there's another man by the name of Peter who we've heard about. He's having a trance. He's having an encounter with God in a whole other city. And God is getting ready to put these two together. Listen, what you don't have that you need, somebody has that to meet your need. 
And he was told that he was known for his, his prayers and his almsgiving. Matter of fact, it came to the remembrance of God. And, and because he's been praying and because he's been a sharer, he's been a giver. Listen to me. God still remembers your first fruit offering. God still remembers the prayer that you prayed on Tuesday morning or, or Wednesday night or wherever you were. He still remembers that. And God came to answer his prayers. God came to meet his needs. And it says in verse 24 of Acts chapter 10, the following day, they entered to Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them. What are you waiting for? What are you expecting? What a hope and expectation. What promise of God are you waiting for? What's on your heart? What is your desire? He's waiting for them, and when they came, he had called together his relatives and close friends. Okay, here we go. It's going to get too simple. Sometimes we have overused church or misused church and have missed being useful as the church. So this is what Cornelius did. He really believed, really believed, and he went beyond his prayers, and he started giving. And he went beyond his prayers and his giving, because that's pretty much where the church is right now. I'll attend church, I'll pray together with you, I'll pray to God, believe in God, and I'll give my portion to the church, whatever it is. But then things stop as soon as we walk out those doors. But he believed so much, he wanted his family and his friends. Today's message, that was my introduction. Today's (laughs) Today's message is for friends and family, family and friends. I don't know what they put on the screen. What are we doing for our family and our friends? What are we doing for them? Cornelius invited them. I'm putting out before you right now an exhortation. It's not a command. I'm exhorting you to do this. Invite your family and your friends, if you can, to your house, to your apartment. And if you don't know what to say, Invite somebody over who has something to say, who has a testimony, who has been with God. If you're not comfortable with that setting, I would say at least, not at most, at least invite them to church. Invite them to this family gathering. Invite them to a strongman's breakfast or or a flourish makeover, whatever, all those things that they do. Invite them to a Wednesday night. Invite them to a night that we have a special guest here that does just music or something like that. Invite them into that atmosphere. That's simply what Cornelius did. He invited his family and his friends. To the best of our knowledge, he has a house full. He has a slew of people. Remember Jesus instructed, and in his instruction, he invited a number of people to a living room. The best knowledge of all theologians is where they had the upper room experience is where they had the Last Supper experience. But you know, somebody who's a missing figure in this whole thing is the guy that they went to and said, hey, the Lord has need of your house. He's like, it's my house. So appropriate this morning. As for me, 
We're going to put the hay down. The goats can get it. As for me, yeah, but we, we think as for me and my family. I'm bringing home right now. Does your house serve the Lord? The place he's given you to dwell, are you sharing it with other people? Now, this is not braggadocious whatsoever. What was that guy's name? That TV thing said, no brag, just fact. Will Sonnet. I mean, I remember the old Western. Will Sonnet. They said, no brag, just fact. We have had people to our house before that have walked in and become overwhelmed by the sense of his presence and his peace. No brag, just fact. It wasn't her and I. They'd never had a home before. They never, we've had people sit at our table and never have a family dinner before. Some of y'all are scratching your head right now. Man, that sounds familiar. We're so busy, we're so distorted, we're so distracted, we're so pulled here and there. We don't get those times. Let's make those times. Nobody's got to whip out. Nobody's turning the tables. Nobody's driving things out. We're setting things up. We need to serve the Lord with our house. He invited family and friends. So I say to you, call your relatives, and your friends, and gather them. Acts 10, 34. Then Peter opened his mouth. Now, most of us don't have a problem with that. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, I literally, the way that I read this, I've experienced this before, and there's probably many people in this room will know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't know what I'm going to say but I'm just going to start talking. He opened his mouth, and these words started coming out. They just started coming out. Why? Because he's filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's now speaking. He's still associated with it. He's still kindled with it. But as he's speaking, not only is his tongue speaking, the tongue of the Spirit is speaking. It is a cloven tongue. And I'm telling you, fire is about to fall. He opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. I want to say to you today, whether you're old, whether you're young, whether you're male, whether you're female, whether you're red, yellow, black, or white, God shows no partiality. I'll say to this to you right now. Whether you're struggling with your gender and your identity, God is not troubled by that. He loves you just the same. He does not turn his head up and turn his nose up and turn around. He's not saying it's okay. But he wants to give to you what you need to get to him. Because if he doesn't get to you what you need, you will never get to him for the needs that you have. Oh, listen, Jesus said, you didn't choose me first. I chose you. We are not a church of partiality. We're not a church of racism. We're not a church that lifts one up higher than the other and sets the other one down. That is not who we are. It's amazing to me that some people will say, well, I think you are. You better think about yourself. You better think about yourself. It might be your disposition, the way you're thinking, the way you're looking, the way you're judging that is making you think that way. Amen? 
You are responsible for you. Not them, not her, not him. You're responsible for you. So what he's saying here in this situation is that for years it was God and the Jews. But now he's with Gentiles, people who are not of the Jews. But remember, he just had a divine encounter with God. That God dropped down all the, all the hoofed animals and said, you go ahead and eat these. He said, I can't eat these. He said, I can't eat these. He said, oh, no, no, you, you need to eat these. You need to go ahead and bless them. He was letting him know that what's not like you and what's not just been under your law all of these years, he said, I'm opening the gospel to them. He's showing that God is not partial. This promise is for us. Acts chapter 10, verse 39. Paul said, excuse me, Peter said, and we are witnesses of all things. Did you hear that? Jesus said, after the Holy Ghost had come upon you, you should be a witness unto me. They had been a witness of all these things. Now Peter's becoming a witness of Jesus. He is representing Jesus to Cornelius' household, to all of his family, all his friends. You and I don't know there's any higher calling than you to gather people over to your house or at your business place or wherever it may be. I'm not saying you have to do this. I'm encouraging you. You get to do this. You're allowed to do this. But when you stand there and sit there before them, you represent Jesus to them. And all you have to share is what Jesus has done for your life. I'll never forget. First time I ever preached outside of the church that I attended. I've told this story before. I'm wrestling with whether I tell the whole thing or just part of it. But when I went to that, uh, I was sitting out cutting grass at the church. A man pulled in the parking lot to look at the new building we had built and, and put up over there. And we got in a long conversation. He said, son, I said, you need to come preach for me sometime. I said, I'd love to. He invited me over on a Wednesday night. I pulled into the parking lot. I was totally prepared to preach. And what I was prepared for, I knew two things were going to happen. Somebody was going to be healed, and people were going to be delivered from addiction. Now, how did I know that? Because that's what had happened to me so far. That's all I knew. The time my eye had gone blind and, and, and the addictions God delivered me free from, that was my testimony, friends. It's my testimony. And let me tell you how powerful your testimony is. At the very end of Paul's ministry, it's all based on his testimony at the beginning of his relationship with Jesus Christ. But we're still looking for new things and new waves to run and new revelations and new groups to run with. We're all looking. That's how he saved you. He said, what I delivered you out of, I'm going to send you back to. So I'm standing there. I pull in that church, and, and, and I saw the evidence of, of addiction. There's people out in the front, and, and no offense. I'm not trying to get anybody's stuff. People just out there smoking cigarettes away. Look like fireflies all over. It's already dark time out there. I thought, okay, praise God. I know people have addictions. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a big relief to a preacher. And so I got up and I started praying and I said, anybody in here need, need healing? And then this lady, uh, well into her 80s, she walked out and she had like gray scales on her eyes and I prayed for her and, and I prayed for those scales to come off, for her eyes to be healed that she could see. And all of a sudden they were gone. I mean, just her clearness of her eyes came there and the scales were gone and she looked at me and I looked at her. It's the first time I'd seen this happen, you know? We're just looking at each other like, whoa, this is crazy, you know? And then I said, how about anybody with addictions? Four or five people lined up. 
And there was a lady back over this side, and she's white-knuckling. How many of y'all remember what a white-knuckler was? Somebody resisting the conviction of God. She's holding on to the pew. And I, and, I, and I said, ma'am, what about you? She nodded her head, and she let go, and she walked up. And I, and I thought to myself, why do people let hell control their life? So she got up there, and I stood in front of her. I said, why in the H-E-L-L do you do this? She looked at me, and I looked at her. I got tongue twisted. <laughs> and I went right on down the line, and thing was over. That was just the beginning. You're not going to be perfect the first time you do this thing. But it doesn't change whether he's perfect or not. He can work in the midst of your weakness. He can work in the midst of your... Don't be afraid. Don't let fear cripple you from doing what God's going to enable to set captives free. Use your house to serve the Lord. Use your testimony to serve the... Come on, church. It's in here. Now, listen to what happens. He said he commanded us to preach to the people. There's a command. You and I have a command throughout the gospel to go preach to people. And to testify, to give your testimony. Remember, he said you'll be a witness that he who was ordained by God is to be judge of the living and the dead. Listen to me, friends. Don't preach this just modern day Jesus. Make sure that they know there's a judgment coming too. If all you're preaching to them is a salvation from what they're presently going with, there'll be no fear for what they're going to encounter. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Friends, you could be the, you could be the great physician of somebody's spiritual health. You preach a gospel which they can believe. He promises he'll give them a remission of their sins. He'll set them free from their sins. Verse 44, as you stand to your feet. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. Now listen, while he's speaking, the Holy Spirit descends upon them. While he's speaking, the Spirit of God starts to set upon them. While he's speaking, the same thing that happened in that upper room where he was is now happening in that living room where they are. The Holy Spirit, the heavens open. There's a baptism. There's a release. There's a, there's a, listen to me. This one isn't as much of an outpouring. This one is a pouring out. I've come to a full conclusion, I believe in my heart, that there is an outpouring of the Spirit, and then it becomes a pouring out of the Spirit. What's been outpoured on you and I needs to be pouring out of you and I. I honestly believe that somebody's baptism, somebody's remission, somebody's healing, somebody's salvation, it, it's, it's inside of you. The key to that is, listen to me, it's inside of you. Their river is inside of you. Their resource is inside of you. You have the key to loose them. You have the bread to feed them. You have the life to distribute to them. We can no longer walk around with it just baking on the inside and us shaking on the outside. We've got to get this stuff out of us. Out of us. So while he's speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word. Notice the direct connection. The word and the spirit. When the spirit word is being preached and spoken testified the spirit draws an eye he comes in and sets in amongst them 
And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. Those who were, had been under the law and those Jews who had experienced it, those guys who were traveling with, with Peter, they're seeing something they've never seen before. They're seeing something greater than them, but it's obvious to them it's the same thing that happened in the upper room. It's happening in Cornelius' living room. Do, do you understand? The same thing that happened in the upper room in the Bible can happen in your office, can happen in your bedroom, can happen in your living room, can happen in your kitchen. It can happen in this church service. We need an open heaven once again where people get touched and filled by the Spirit of God and the power of God. And when you get the power of God, the thing that's having dominion over you will no longer have dominion over you. You'll have dominion. I'm telling you, if your husband's all messed up in something, your wife's all hooked up in something, your child has gone all crazy with something when they get the spirit of God they'll have the power over that they'll have that grace to be able to say no to it to live victoriously they're not going to be able to do it in their own strength they're not going to be able to do it in religion they need a relationship a deep relationship and as many that came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also I think what you might need to understand in that is you may look around in here and see some people and go, oh yeah, they're spirit-filled. Oh yeah, they're spirit-filled. Maybe you've heard them prophesy. Maybe you've heard them pray in tongues. Maybe you heard them give a testimony. Maybe you see their worship and, and they have what you don't have. Well, you need to understand what they have, you can have. Well, you need to understand what they have, you can have. It's not about being elevated to a pulpit. It's not about being called to another church. It's called to being filled with the Spirit of God. He wants to put His Spirit in you, not just on you. Amen? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnifying God. So they've gone from an outpouring to a pouring out. Then Peter said, can anybody forbid these people water? These people hadn't even been water baptized yet. But notice this, Peter sticks with doctrine. He doesn't let the spirit run its own course over there and get spiritual and weird over there. He stays attuned to the doctrine of baptisms. You still need to be water baptized. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. You know what's going to create... Watch this. You know it's going to create a few-day visitation? You know it's going to create a few-day revival? It's not some great preacher. It's the hunger of the people. It's the thirst of the people. I'm here to say to you, I don't know that we as a church are hungry enough yet. I don't know that we as a church are as thirsty as we should be. We can't keep leading you to the trough can't just keep leading you to the to the fountain something's got to start stirring inside of you you got to want it not just here but at home you know it's going to make a better church service it's when all of us come out of our presence of god in our homes and come together and celebrate what he did there instead of just waiting for him to do something here are you with me i want to ask you are you thirsty I want to ask you, are you hungry? I want to ask you, are you willing? I want to ask you, are you available? I want to ask you to ask yourself, 
where do I stand right now? Where do I stand right now? With every hand lifted. As best you can, every heart open. I'm asking for an open heaven over your life. I'm asking for an infilling of the Holy Spirit upon your life. speaking to those who are believing right now in Jesus in his blood in his promises remission of your sins freedom to walk away he said if you believe he'll extend a remission of sins freedom today to walk out of whatever it is or whatever it was to walk in freedom but I ask you today is your house available his plans I don't know exactly what that's going to look like I don't know exactly where that is I'm just here to tell you he wants to use you for his glory and for his honor there's one last thing I'll ask are you willing to go from outpouring to pouring out can God use you marketplace, in the business place, church place, your family place, wherever it is, are you available for God to use you? If that's you, just say, here I am, Lord. Use me for your glory and for your honor.